Hey everybody, welcome to the sixth episode of the Global Health Impact Fund podcast. I'm your host Martin Eels and we're excited that you're joining us on this journey where we cover everything investor and health related. So last episode we covered how to support a company post-investment. If you haven't listened to this yet, we highly recommend you do. And if you have listened to it, we would very much appreciate if you could give us a follow and also give us a five-star rating plus a really awesome review if you're liking the episodes. And as usual, I have with me my amazing co-host, Dr. Oren Aloni-Charis, co-founder and CEO of the Global Health Impact Fund. Oren, it's a pleasure to have you here. Hey, Martin. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Oren, let's jump into today's episode, which is how to source and filter companies. Like we all know venture capital is a very competitive business. You know, we're all vying to find that next runway smash hit of a startup. Generating high quality deal flow is paramount to any successful investment strategy. So how do VCs source their deals? Oliver, why don't you share how we at our fund source deals? Yeah, that, that's great. And thanks for setting it up like that, Martin, because I'm sure that there are a million ways to skin the proverbial cat. So I can really only be expert or try to be an expert in my way <laughs> and I'll do the best I can. Um, so yeah, deal flow is really everything. You know, you can have all the money in the world and if you don't have the right deals and the right understanding of the deals, then you're nothing. And and so a lot of people see that as being everything. And there are times, I think, you know, the industry cycles between lots of deals being out there and then deal flow being very scarce. And I think we're getting out of a, a era where deal flows deal flow was scarce, but but I've not really had that problem and we'll we'll get into why. But I do appreciate that. Framing framing the whole idea around deal flow, you know, is that venture is a funny thing. You know, our stats in venture are worse than baseball stats, right? They say in the early stage, only one out of 10 companies succeeds statistically. We hope to do a lot better than that. Our first fund is shaping up to look a lot better than that. Um, But I won't be able to tell that story until last chapter. So I don't want to I don't want to brag about something that hasn't happened because you know anything can happen, but but we feel pretty good about it. But but the truth is is that a lot of deals fail. So right off the bat, whatever I end up thinking is going to be a great deal, theoretically, only has a 10% chance of succeeding, right? So that's that's already really bad. Um, but setting all that aside, because that goes back to portfolio construction, things we've already talked about, how do we find that? those 10 companies, only one of which will succeed <laughs> statistically. And it's a numbers game. It's a numbers game. You want to look at as many deals. And so venture capitalists talk about a funnel. So, you know, you imagine a, a funnel, you know, with the, you know, opening up top and the spout at the bottom, you know, spitting out the startups that you like, and you start with a really wide net. And now I'm going to mix my metaphors. And you filter that down for a third metaphor into ultimately the companies you decide to invest in. There are a lot of different decisions that go into what makes you choose to make an investment. And one of them is, of course, you know, ideally, right, you're going to find really good companies, but that's super subjective. 
So that's why you may be a great company in one fund's view and a terrible company in another fund's view. And I think, again, we talked about some of these issues in one of our other episodes, but you know, you could be the wrong stage. You could be, your cap table could be a mess. You could not have the right governance or your leadership can be too inexperienced. Well, there's a million reasons, right? They, the joke is that a venture capitalist is always looking for a reason to say no. And now you understand why, because there's such a, a huge um, culling process. Um, but I think it's more than that. I think it's it's what gets us excited. You know, we're going to be forming a relationship with these companies, especially from the early stage. And and many times you're going to see, you know, startup uh, founders who are potentially inexperienced and operating in a little bubble, you know, in their bubble. And nobody that they hire is going to really challenge them because, you know, the hierarchy, but we'll be able to challenge them as outsiders and investors. Uh, and so we want to be able to develop a relationship and we want to enjoy that relationship and we want to be passionate about what they're doing. So I just reviewed a company yesterday that I think is doing something really important. And um, I, I like what they were doing. It just wasn't for me. Like it's, you know, the, maybe it's maybe that seems terrible, but I was like, yeah, it totally doesn't excite me, but I like what they're doing. I think they, they have potential. So, so there are a lot of reasons why you want to go through a lot of companies. Another reason, and I think this is really important, at least in healthcare, is that you want to have a, as much of an industry-wide view as you can. It's going to give you a sense of valuation. It's going to give you a sense of competition. And it's going to give you a sense of, of innovation. Uh, I don't want to be investing in innovation that solves today's problem tomorrow, but, you know, I mean, if somebody's leapfrogged ahead of that solution, then that's where I want to be. So, you know, you don't know that unless unless you see things. And so you really want to be out and about and seeing as much as you can. Also, honestly, it's fascinating, you know, to see all those things. Companies are doing really cool stuff. And I, I want to learn as much as I can and see as much as I can. That's really what's what's super exciting as a VC to, to see them and help help some of them. So what we've done is we've developed a lot of network uh, effort. So, you know, um, we're fortunate enough to be on the board of directors at the UCSF Health Hub. And the UCSF Health Hub is a, um, I mean, UCSF is, you know, one of the top medical uh, institutions in the world. So they have a great innovation arm and the health hub is supportive of that. So we see deals through that and we see deals through, um, you know, our relationships with Stanford and our relationships with the Cleveland Clinic and our relationships with uh, Texas Medical Center and the rest of the UC system, Skydeck and UC San Diego. Then we have our referral base from our network, GHIN, you know, we have lots of doctors who participate and they send us companies. Um, venture venture capitalists, at least in, in the healthcare space, are pretty friendly. So we send deals to each other uh, to look at, to help with rounds, or just because we know that certain people have a certain area that they prefer and say, hey, you might like taking a look at this. So I, I we're very lucky to get a lot of deals. Additionally, we, we do the most, the best we can to participate in events, which is, Martin, how we met you, uh, judging events or, you know, sitting on panels. And, you know, of course, those are ways to 
get your brand out there and meet, you know, up and coming startup folks once they, you know, come out of the garage and start looking to the world for support and capital. So I, I think all of those, all of those methods are important and collectively, I, don't, I can't say individually, but collectively, I feel like they give me a good sense of what's happening in the marketplace. And, and I, again, I, you get to meet really neat people at the same time. So it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. It's always nice to meet new startups who are working on very interesting things, especially in the health space. Yeah. Like, so you said we meet so many and it's, you can't say yes to all of them. <laughs> like, but I think that's where networks come in, right? Especially like personal networks and relationships. Well, that's where the network comes in and that's where we hope the Global Health Impact Network comes in because we can still facilitate relationships with clinicians and hospitals and innovators. Uh, it's not capital necessarily, although it could be, but, um, you know, all of these things help people and moving them, moving them closer to success even a little bit, even incrementally, I think is really helpful. Well, how else do we source from companies? Like I know we have like accelerator programs, um, like relationships there. Um, you know, I know we have professional associations, like you said, with UCSF. Uh, you know, what is it that you look for when creating these partnerships um, to help with sourcing deals? That's a great question. I think that you want to have some degree of authenticity, authenticity and dependability in the programs. You know, and everything that takes you one step further from a cold call is really valuable. So if there's the validation from a third party that you trust, that's really big. If there's um, a relationship that you could build at an accelerator, well, that's really great because that's getting a chance to date before you get married. Um, so, so I think anything that can build the relationship, you know, one, one piece of advice to entrepreneurs would be, it's much better to talk to people when you don't want anything from them, vis-a-vis -vis money, um, to get to know them and let them get to know you um, because people really like to invest in relationships and people. Um, the ideas, I mean, the ideas are critical, obviously, and um, usually drive, at least in my space, drive a lot of the decision making, but the people really matter. And, um, you know, so getting to know people before you actually have your hand out, I think is a great technique um, to, you know, improve your likelihood of success. I know quite a few um like VC firms look at like data-driven approaches. Is that something that, you know, we've done or looked at doing? Yeah, I mean, I built a comprehensive platform that does objective and subjective um, data mining of our expert network. And we try to create a qualitative and quantitative approach to understanding the company's strengths and weaknesses. There are a few, there are a few um, vulnerabilities in that system. One is that it's a snapshot right? It's like an EKG. So it tells me what's happening at that moment, but it doesn't give me anything on the axis of time. And so, you know, you just have to know that for what it is. It's much better to see things and how they change over time. Um, it's also a problem of, you know, trash in and trash out. If you don't have good data, then the conclusions you draw are not as valuable. So what I think the data-driven 
system does for us is that it allows us to a be comprehensive because it's essentially it's like a template you have to do this this and this mm-hmm. so you have to look at the product market fit you have to look at the management team you have to look at the peer review science you know you want to do all of those things and not get you know distracted by the shiny object um so it's comprehensive and it's also because you're stepping out of the interaction with the company itself and just looking at information that you can perhaps be more objective as you answer it. And, and then you can look at your answers and, you know, what I'm trying to, excuse me, hedge against is unconscious bias, you know, where, where we come in with an idea. And so by converting, you know, data to questions, questions to answers, answers to numbers, and then comparing the numbers, what we can do is just do a cold-hearted scientific, you know, assessment and look at, you know, oh, their management team is not being rated strongly, but their product is going through the roof in terms of the way people are evaluating it. And I think that if you can step back then and look at that data and put it back onto what you know, you're not only going to decide which company you want to invest in, but you're also going to get an assessment of where that company has strengths and where they have you know, weaknesses that they need to devote resources to, to improve. And so I think holistically that approach works, but relying on that only misses something. And it's, you know, it's that unquantifiable looking into Putin's eyes and seeing his soul moment, right? You know, you, you really want that too, um, because you, you can't, you know, there are things that you can't just put on a scale of one to 10 based on a questionnaire. So I like to do both. And then what we do at GHIF is we uh, pivot to our experts, our expert networks, and try and find clinicians that are in the spaces that those companies specifically work in and use them in, in addition to our internal um, work to get that feedback. And we really capture re- interesting data from that. Like, do you ever create like watch lists of companies that are in your current network? For example, if you had... If you introduced to Uber and you know you weren't investing at the time, like would you have a list of companies that you would watch um, until they hit the milestones that you were looking for before investing? Or yeah, not necessarily for investing because you know our first fund had a particular mandate in terms of where they would invest, and yeah. if you're your milestones after I've seen you, probably you're getting too big yeah. for us. In the second fund, that may be more true. Um, but more because you want to educate yourself. A, you want to root for people, you know, just because, as I said, you see so many more companies than you're going to invest in. It's not that you have any dislike or disgust for those companies. It's just for a million different reasons, it wasn't right for you. But you still want people to succeed. And it's important to check your hypotheses. You know, did they succeed for the reasons you thought they would? Did they fail for the reasons you thought they would, you know, and to the extent that you're, you can get that insight, it can be very valuable educationally. And, um, you know, I think we all have to acknowledge that we, you know, we're always learning. And this is the cool thing about bringing the medical culture to anything else, but in this case to venture and business, which is that in the operating room as an anesthesiologist, you're always asking yourself, did I make the right choice? You're always going through this loop of, 
uh, observation, diagnosis, treatment, and then post-treatment observation back to diagnose, you know, in, in, in a cycle. And, you know, I do that in life as well. I try not to be fixated on believing I had the answer when I'm challenged with new information. I, ideally, you take in the new information and you modify your position as necessary. So I think that's important in this too. And honestly, we're making multi-million dollar decisions when we choose to invest in or not to invest in a company. So we should be, you know, pretty judicious about, you know, doing the sort of the morbidity mortality after the fact. Is deal flow uh, proprietary? I mean, deal flow is like a Rolodex. It's proprietary in that people who I get deals from have chosen me to look at their deals, but there's nothing about the deals that can't go to anyone else. And there's nothing preventing me from sharing deals with other people that I see that I think they'll like. Um, but what's proprietary is like, it's not a talent like being able to sing, but it's more like having a network. And if you build up a big network and you have access to these deals, um, you're going to be in a better position to make good decisions. So I, in, in that respect, it's sort of proprietary. Yeah. So it's all about building a strong relationship and a strong network. I think so. And ultimately, you know, on both ends, venture is a relationship business. You know, on the one end with investors, you have to build relationships and build trust so that people are comfortable, you know, with giving you their money to invest. And on the opposite side, you want to invest in companies and build relationships with them so you can support them. The worst thing in the world is to invest in a company, have a bad relationship with them, and then you're just completely divorced from their operations. Um, and you can't help them. And if they fail, you maybe would have made a difference if you'd had a better you know, relationship. Yeah. But, you know, it's like you said, I, I think as VCs, uh, we get more turns to try and hit the ball than entrepreneurs do. So <laughs> is there anything you want to add or you have any key takeaways? Most venture capitalists I know don't want to sign NDAs, non-disclosure agreements, before they get information. And that's kind of a hairy one because, of course, there are going to be unethical people that will share your information with people that shouldn't have it. I'm not sure an NDA can prevent that anyway. Uh, and I'm not sure how easy it is to litigate an NDA, especially when you're a startup. But that being said, um, it's still wrong if you do that. And um, but most venture capitalists don't want to sign an NDA. And you know, it's sort of a funny thing to say, hey, listen, I want you to take a look at my material and then give me money or invest in me. Um, but first you have to sign this agreement that says that if you do anything with my materials, I can sue you. And like, I just don't need to sign that. You know, like you don't understand the power dynamic here. Um, so I think that knowing that, knowing that, mo and some people will, but knowing that that's kind of, considered not okay, I think the real answer is, well, how do we get around that? And I, I caution startup founders, you know, when they're sharing materials that if there's something that's proprietary, you keep that under the vest. You know, you don't have to share everything. Um, you know, you want to get me as interested as I can without sharing proprietary information that could damage the company. And then at that point, if I'm really interested, then I'm, I'm okay signing an NDA. You know, if I go want to go forward and it's just a matter of me learning these specific things. So I would, I would say that's the right approach, you know.
Um, so that's one thing. Another thing is that, you know, because it's a relationship uh, business, you know, you build relationships with people. And just because somebody says no to you doesn't mean you can't send them an email in six months and say, we've done this, this, and this since we talked last. I'd love to reconnect. I don't think people mind that, you know, and they can certainly ignore it if they do, but it's not a, um, you know, it's not a malicious outreach. It's not spam. So I say build relationships with people and, you know, maybe not for this startup, but maybe the next startup or maybe your friend's startup or who knows what it could be valuable down the road or just to see a friendly face at a conference, you know? So build relationships. Don't, don't be exclusively transactional in your dealings. When you're putting your work out there and it happens to us too as venture capitalists, I send my deck around and, you know, you get feedback and, or I make presentations and you get feedback. When you get feedback that isn't to your liking, i.e. it's critical, uh, even if it's couched in a way that is not very friendly, my recommendation would be just listen to it. You don't, first, never argue. I mean, people are just giving you their opinions and, you know, many people won't give you their opinion and you're entitled to completely ignore the opinion of somebody who says something that you think is wrong. But the people who are willing to give you opinions even if they're unfriendly and unsolicited and maybe not very nice, you know, you should see that as a, you should see that as a boon because you're getting feedback. And, you know, even if you consider it and then say, I think that person's got it wrong and then completely discount it, sometimes you're going to hear something that's good. And I think more often than not, when you're getting feedback from venture capitalists, they're pretty diplomatic. So they're not going to, come at you. But if they do tell you something that's a little bit on the negative side, maybe you should listen. Yeah. Maybe you should take it in and consider it. You know, maybe you make a change, maybe you don't. But I think there should be gratitude for that. And of course, I wish everybody would do it, including myself, in a nice and friendly way. But it's the people that don't give you feedback that can't help you grow. And so I would, I would do that. I would be ready to make changes. I would not be fixated on there being one true path. And, uh, you know, I think, I think that's really important. And I've seen a lot of thin skinned people. And if your skin is really thin, you know, you shouldn't go into acting and you probably shouldn't be an entrepreneur because it's, it's really tough. You're going to get a lot more no's than yeses. Yeah. It's, you know, it's not all sunshine and rainbows, unfortunately. It's not. I mean, it's, we should have a whole talk about this, but I don't know if I'm the right one to do it. But entrepreneurship is really lonely and it's really hard. And a lot of times it doesn't pay off at all. <laughs> you know, it ruins you. So, you know, it's a tough road. You need to be a strong leader to do that because you get criticism from all sides. Mm -hmm. you know? And if you get criticism from all sides and everyone's saying the same thing and you're ignoring it, then you really need to look in the mirror. <laughs> but, you know, there's always going to be someone who's not like what you do, regardless if you agree or disagree with them. I always say any feedback is good feedback. Terrible feedback for me, I can learn what I need to change. Like, because if, if I have 10 people all telling me negative feedback, then I know what I need to change. As well right. as 10 people give me positive feedback, it's like, but <laughs> yeah. Where, where's the negative? Right. Where's the negative? Um, speaking of which, I've been meaning to tell you a couple of things after the show. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, you know, I think you're right. Entrepreneurship is, 
it's definitely a lonely place. Like, you know, it really is. Like, I know plenty of founders all over the world, and it's one of the toughest jobs you can have. Right. It is in in the venture community, really. I I I mean this sincerely. I from my experience with myself, of course, and with other venture capitalists that I know, we can we can provide some fellowship for founders. You know, many of us have been through some things that they've been through, and certainly we have our stake in the game. So we get you know we get what's at stake, um, and we don't work for them. So there's not that, you know, I can't confide into my second about my insecurities because that will blow up the company business. So, so you know, I think you can use that as a resource. You know, I don't know that we're therapists, but, you know, I, I think that we can certainly, we can certainly be there for moral support. And, you know, it's building, you know, it's like everything else, it's build your network and build your support network as well. I try not to be rude, although probably I come across that way sometimes, but if I'm not interested in the company, the best thing I can do is cut them off fast because why do I want to dangle any hope of getting funded in front of them? And, uh, and I don't want to waste my time, of course, with them. And I don't want to waste their time. Their time is precious. So, you know, a hard, fast no is probably, you know, as good as some good constructive criticism. Um, but don't take it personally. Uh, you know, there's a million reasons why that, you know, doesn't work out. Um, and you know, you got to reach out to a lot of people, the warmer, the introduction, the better. So leverage your network to get introductions. And we didn't talk today about pitching or anything like that, but really have a tight story, really have good materials. It's, it's important that you communicate well, what you're doing and why it, why it's important. And I'll give you just the real high level. And I, I, we didn't do this yet. Did we pitch? Uh, we should do that. Uh, but why this, why you, and why now? Answer those three questions. If you can't answer those questions, then you really you, you need to figure out how you do that. Um, well, so, there you go, everybody. Next session, pitching. Pitching. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, guys. I think that's going to be it for today because we're running out of time. Um, so, yeah, our next episode is going to be on pitching. So if you've got any questions, um, you can email me at martin with a Y at globalhealthimpactnetwork.net or follow me on Twitter and DM me at martin underscore eels. Or you can follow Oren at... You can email me at Oren, O-R-R-I-N, at globalhealthimpactfund.com. Or I'm going to try and get my Twitter going. So it's at O-R-I-N-A-C, O-R-R-I-N-A-C. I've never posted on Twitter. I follow politics on Twitter. But I'm going to try and get this going. So uh, whatever, tweet at me or whatever you call it. I have no idea. But at me, and uh, I'll get back to you. <laughs> dragging, you know, dragging me into the 21st century. Uh, someone like that too. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll do a TikTok soon. There you go. If you go All right, with everybody. Them, with the gift dance. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thank you so much uh, for listening. Stay safe and we'll catch you next time. Thanks, mate. Bye-bye.